0: said in there shall be signs of the sun and in the moon and in the stars
1: and upon the earth distress of nations
2: i think she's a liar and i think she
1: deserves mockery it was something about when i put this hat on; it made me feel like superman black lives are very important white lives are very important
2: and to me all lives are very important very very important Damn!
1: this is profane faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins faith that has been labeled profane, non-conformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane defined God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White-Hodge. Hey folks, how you doing? What's going on? Está pasando allá. Uh, yes, indeedy. I wrote graffiti on the bus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, what's going on? Welcome to Profane Faith, it's good to have everyone here uh, this week here as we're moving into December, it looks like, and um, man, you know, all kind of uh, crazy, crazy things that are going on right now uh, at our border <laughs> in Mexico, um, uh, here in Chicago. Um, I just read the police officer, that the white woman police officer in Dallas who uh, walked into this brother's apartment and shot him, just got charged for manslaughter, whether she's convicted or not, that's another thing, but she got charged for manslaughter, so that's, that's interesting, um, man, I tell you, there's all kind of stuff popping off, um, it's an interesting time, I mean, and as an academic, this is a time of year when, you know, the semester winds down, um, you know, you start to get all those, all those excuses from students and everything, even though you've talked with them and you've laid out a syllabus, Um, you know there's always a student or two that is like oh man do we, can I turn that in late or can I turn that in, um, you know, uh, 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 after the deadline or whatever, man? There's always some crazy things. If you follow me and, uh, you know, I have been, I post some things. It's uh, just, just like crazy student responses. People have actually encouraged me to write a book on that. I've actually thought about, you know, doing that. I've got some crazy ones um, over the years that it's, you know, a little hard to... A little hard to believe that you know students would say some stuff like that but it's it's uh it's it's crazy man it's, it's crazy man but it's it's all good it's all fun it's part of the job part of what I do um man so yeah this week man this uh um well at least here in Chicago you know the weather is is cooling off and so a brother's you know down in the lab I'm trying to stay warm um you know I'm still thinking about this you know the brother man that got killed and you know the missionary I said some words about it last week on the podcast, so if you haven't heard that, go check that out. Plus, it's a great episode on the Sabbath. Um, I also had a chance uh, to, you know, talk to a few of the folks as we were thinking about just what colonialism and white evangelicalism means uh, in this day and age. Um, (laughs) You know, in in this era that we're in, because it seems like there's a lot of upheaval that's happening. Um, And I was telling somebody this week, you know, that I feel like Trumpster is really more of a puppeteer um, for a larger ideological construct that's happening in this shift that it's like it's like it's like when two air masses meet a hot air mass a cold air mass and it feels like we're right on the 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 front of both of those and it's like we're just kind of caught in the middle and like you know it's like okay what's gonna win out like you know are we gonna are we gonna lean into diversity are we gonna lean into um you know loving on people or are we gonna you know recoil back into what we were we're gonna go backwards you know into that and that's where i the gram scheme of things i feel like like we're really at okay i am it's and it's hard to explain and this is you know this is part of what i'm you know, working on, it's part of what I've talked about in my last two books, um, uh, hip hop's hostile gospel. And, you know, of course my current book, um, about just this shift that's been happening, um, really over the last 25, 30 years. And if you want to take it even back further, um, I think once you started introducing technology into, um, uh, you know, Western society, I mean, things just started changing rapidly. I mean, from 1950 forward, we have a lot of advancements that, you know, humankind just hadn't had even over the last, you know, 10,000 years. And so, you know, to, to see where we've come and what, what we've advanced with, um, I can only imagine, you know, if we, imagine if we had had the microchip, you know, day one. <laughs> imagine that. I mean, I, I think about stuff like that, right? So... You know we're at a uh, an interesting, like I keep saying, apex, and I, th- I think for me it's like Trump is just a vocal piece for that. He is like a sore that popped up as a result, like a pimple that popped up, and it it's demonstrated. So it's like you can try to take the pimple out, but there's stuff underneath it. So it's like you know, again, you can try to impeach him, but it's like it's stuff underneath it, and even if he wins and or loses in 2020 i I do believe he's going to win in 2020 but even if he uh loses in 2020 and somebody else gets in that's not going to change any of the ideological and worldview structures that we have and currently have right now that's going on in fact it'll probably intensify it especially if the candidate that wins in 2020 is an ethnic minority or a woman um and so you know i'm you know i just continue to kind of like all right this is an interesting time that we live in and, and whatnot i mean Especially those folks who are still kind of in the middle and, you know, don't want to, you know, take a side or anything like that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always fascinated by that, uh, especially in this era. I think, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, we could have done that. You know, um, I know I was, you know, one of those kind of like, oh, those, you know, hardcore reconcilers, like, oh, you know, we can work it out. And let's leave space to talk and everything. And I just honestly just don't feel like we're there anymore. and so especially with what you see what's going on in the border i mean when you think about the tear gas when you think about the lies that you know fox news and other conservative radio and, and media spots are you know put out you know it, it, you know the narrative is that oh there, there's no women and children down there it's just all men you know so basically we can you know keep going on and doing what we're doing and stuff and so um you know i it, it's 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 and, and we saw that with the dakota pipeline as well just the inhumanity that exists you know uh, a a police force so um, You know, my prayer is that we can You know, that I truly believe This is really my prayer Is that something supernatural would happen Because I don't think we have it within our, our, our capacity At this moment in human history To try to figure this out on our own And maybe we do Maybe, you know, I can hear some of my humanist friends and Not saying, like, you know, we do have it We just gotta figure it out So, um, yeah, I don't know <laughs> I do not know I do not know But I'm gonna keep moving forward And I'm gonna continue to do the work that I do, um, it's just one little thing. It's not a, you know, I don't write policy. I'm not no provost. I'm no dean. I'm no president. I'm just a professor, uh, here in Chicago trying to do my job, do my job. And, uh, you know, do this, you know, this podcast is my little public way of, of putting, uh, putting stuff out there, uh, in a manner that, you know, folks don't have to pay for it. So, you know we'll just we'll just keep pressing forward as they say uh well i don't want to keep y'all long i know the last couple weeks we had some long episodes uh and this week's guest is amazing good friend of mine that i met oh i can't even remember when i met her man uh, april diaz um she has just kind of been we connected i don't know maybe about four years ago at um oh man was some youth conference or something i was speaking at and she has two uh, interracial, interethnic—well, really black kids—that she adopted, and she's going to talk about this, you know, in the interview. So I won't spoil the fun. But uh, you know, race and ethnicity and all that good stuff hits in a different way when it's in front of you. I actually have a student right now of mine in one of my intercultural comm classes, and she's white from the suburbs. Why does they come, right? But she has two African uh, brothers, and. You know, you can see it, right? It's like, man, I love them, I care for them, and to see what they gotta go through. And really, I mean, when you start thinking about racism, what are, you know, for white folks especially, where, where have you experienced it? Where have you engaged it? I was talking with my wife, you know, on uh, uh, today in the car, and we were talking. She was like, you know, if you're a white person, and really, you know, what is your proximity? Who do you call when, you know, when something's, you know, when you you got a problem? Like, what what is their ethnic background? Who's on your call list for your kids and all that? It's like, you know, if you don't necessarily interact with ethnic minorities and folks every day, it's like, man, it's just all this other stuff on racism is just going to keep being theoretical, <laughs> right? It's just going to keep being something interesting in a book because it's easy to retweet it's easy to like it's easy to oh i'll sign that petition and oh yes down with white supremacy but when the rubber meets the road and that stuff is staring at you right in the face yo that's that's what separates the adults from the kids straight up you know and uh, i have seen april really man just uh she was uh, she was out she was out here in the Midwest and uh, she done left us. <laughs> well, she was in the middle of, of yayo nowhere out there, man, in the country. Um, and uh, she's back in Cali, back in sunny, uh, warm California. And um, you know, she really saw a lot of just the madness that uh, that happens you know particularly in homogenous communities and stuff and again like i was saying you know like we need something supernatural and until something touches you deep down inside that's personal on an aspect of race especially for white folks it's just again it's just going to be out there it's just going to be another issue it's going to be another book you read and that was cool but you know it does stuff don't affect me <laughs> you know what i'm saying um april uh had me on her podcast uh her podcast is the global the global fringe and uh she had me on her uh, podcast a few months back and i was like i gotta get you on my podcast you know she's an author she is a coach um she does a lot of different things she's an amazing speaker uh she is somebody who really views life um beyond just what's being said in front of us you know for her she's looking at you know helping people achieve their own visions um you know and achieve their own goals and achieve what folks are trying to become um and she you know trying to apply that stuff as a mom trying to apply that stuff as, as a wife trying to apply that stuff as a you know as a traveler so she is somebody that i definitely wanted to to get on the show and just have a conversation with and talk she's white so Diaz you know people like I do the first time I was like oh man April Diaz she's like so she uh again I'll, she'll explain all this she'll explain where the Diaz came from I ain't gonna break it down because she's about to break it down here in this in this interview um but as a white woman uh I really do feel like April has is, is is one of those folks that I can call on and really when I see her in some of these other spaces that I've wouldn't even go i'm not gonna name any conferences and put anybody on blast um but you know she goes to other conferences that i you know i would never get invited to and i'm thankful that she gets invited because i'm Uh, hopeful not hoping i know she stirs the pot there and i'm hopeful that that'll continue um some kind of change (laughs) i don't know what that change is gonna be but i hope it it continues some of that that uh, that change because you know, white folks need other white folks, you know, to, to talk with them about these issues of race. And when it's hit hit you at home, when it's when it's grasped you, um, you know, you can't you, you know you can't overlook it. You can't overlook it. Uh, well you can, you can try, but it's gonna be it's gonna be that's gonna be even worse. It's gonna be ten times even worse, hundred times even worse. Um, so yes, April Diaz, she's out in Southern California. She, uh, again, a wellness coach. She says she's laser focused on walking with uh, action oriented leaders uh, to become the best versions of themselves in life and work. But what I appreciate most um, about uh, April is just her honesty and her ability to really weigh things out um, and to listen. Um, And that's a that's a key aspect um, in this in this day and age. You know, can you listen? Can you can you accept if somebody is saying to you? Yeah, you you were wrong. And you need to, you need to, you need to ante up on that. And that's what I've appreciated um, about April. So I will put all of her contact information, including, because uh, she's at AprilDiaz.com. I'll put that in the show notes. I also put um, links to her books. She has a couple of different books, uh, redefining the role of the youth worker, adoptive youth ministry. Uh, and, and of course, you know, we met in youth ministry circles, of course. And so I've heard her speak. She's heard me speak. Um, and, uh, and like I said, I'll put the link her podcast. It's a great podcast. She's having these different conversations with different folks. Um and uh, and you know, just one podcast promotion to another. So at any rate, without any further ado, um here is the conversation that Sister April and I had. Hope you enjoy it and I will talk to y'all soon. Bring it. <laughs> well, <laughs> April Diaz, welcome to Thanks. Profane Faith. Thanks, my friend.
0: Great to have, great to
1: be on the show. Yes, I just was about to say, great to have you. Yeah, no, I know because you
0: Gold got rehearsal. <laughs> I had right. you on my show, and now you are having me on your show. So this is what friends do.
1: That's exactly <laughs> it. Exactly it. Oh, I love it. Um, well, as you know, as I ask uh, guests on the show, the one, the one big question is, is how have you gotten to where you got? Because you're a speaker, you're a like a, a, a coach, a a naturalist you uh moved from the midwest back to california what uh what is going on in april diaz's life like what has brought you to this this point in life that's an enormous question i know i know
0: uh what gets you to every point in your life is a series of decisions
1: yeah yeah there we go so
0: (laughs) it's one choice after another and also just sometimes what life throws your way so um i oh gosh seriously that is such a big question (laughs) um come on with with work with like ministry with
1: well let me let me let me break it down a little bit more so then i mean basically i mean i'm not necessarily asking for like you know a testimony but i'm but what what you know? How did you grow up? I mean, what was what was happening is, is uh, as young April? What was happening when you were a kid, a teenager? Um, I know some of your story on how you met your husband. Um I think we met while I was still in California. I think yeah, I, and I think so. um, yeah. and I heard you know, great things about you. and um, of course, when I finally met you face to face, I was like, oh man she's she's great. So and then i I definitely want to talk about, you know, just the work that you do now, because I really do believe like what you do and where you're at and the circles that you run. I couldn't do that. And so I want to talk more about that just being mm-hmm. a white woman married to a Puerto Rican brother, raising yeah. kids that yeah. that are ethnic minorities and also raising kids that you've adopted, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. so that's so yeah, that's breaking it down just a little bit more. If that that's helps. That's
0: good. Yeah, that's super helpful. So I was born in Central Illinois and mm. was born into like this very small farming community. My grandfather was a farmer, um, and lived in this little, like 16,000 person town, grew up in a very, very conservative, uh, fundamentalist, uh, religious culture. And both sides of my extended family were members of this church, um, All of my extended family lived in this teeny tiny town or like the next teeny tiny town over. And that was my world until I was eight years old. And then my dad felt this air quote call to ministry, which in that religious setting, that faith setting didn't happen. People didn't get called into ministry. No one did Hmm. ministry full time. All right. And it turned our family's world upside down, both my immediate family and my extended family. And no one just had a box to put in, like what it would look like. So my dad sold a business that he had run for like a dozen years with his brother, mm. and moved my family to Dallas, Texas. Wow. When I was eight, and oh. my dad went to Dallas Theological Seminary,
1: DTS, which felt,
0: yeah, which ironically felt incredibly progressive and liberal from wow.
1: where I come from. Really? <laughs> wow. Really? Absolutely. Wow. That's a- wow. Okay. All right. And I got a picture so now. From, like,
0: 16,000 person town to living in the greater Dallas Fort Worth area was really? like, my mind just got blown. So I've told my parents, I'm so incredibly grateful for that move, especially at that time in my life that was, you know, eight years old until I was, um, so basically like fourth through sixth grade. And, okay. um, in that time frame, I think I was, is really critical because it expanded the possibilities for me. Like it's expanded my worldview and it, I have told my parents, like, I think it ruined me for the big city. I just love culture and diversity and, you know, arts and just all of what comes in a large city. So we lived down there. I was homeschooled during that time as well.
2: All right. And then
0: my dad kind of had a couple of years after he had graduated trying to figure out what he was going to do, ended up church planting in uh, Indiana. And so our family moved there, but it was kind of a rocky middle school year. Like, I think that's part of why I love teenagers so much is in sixth grade, I lived in Dallas, Texas and was homeschooled, excuse me. In seventh grade, I lived in central Illinois and went to public school for the first time in my life. And in eighth grade, I lived in Indiana and went to another middle school, um, and had to make all new friends again. So wow you know, all of middle school, three different states, very different experiences, and uh, ended up graduating high school in Indiana, but only lived there for a handful of years. And um, when I was in high school, had no intention of being in vocational church ministry in any way, shape or form, Hmm. because why would anyone want to submit themselves to all the criticism, the low (laughs) pay, the long hours, the lack of appreciation, like that just sounded like a pretty bad gig. Yeah. Yeah. And see what it was like for my dad starting a church to go through all of that. It was just, I just like, why would anyone sign up for that? That just sounds stupid. Like I would rather be the president of the United States or a lawyer or like a beautician. Like that was like my, (laughs) my realm of thought. Nice. And then like God wrecked me and I felt called into ministry when I was 16, 17 years old. And, um, the rest was kind of history. I ended up moving to Chicago hmm. to uh, work at a church that shall not be named
2: at right. this point. All right.
0: All right. <laughs> and there for seven years in a variety of different roles. And um, yeah, that was kind of where I cut my teeth in, in ministry and in youth ministry specifically. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how it all got started.
1: Man, that's, a, well, that's interesting, man. That's, that, you know, that's definitely. Um you know, a trip when you say that, you know, you DTS felt kind of a liberal right? yeah. Man. Well, and
0: the other crazy thing about how my story unfolded and being a woman in leadership now at this point in my life is because of the background that I came from, the faith, the religious culture that I was born into, um, there was zero. Um, there, there was no template for that being possible. Mm. Hmm. Women did not go into ministry. Women were not leaders. Uh, The role of women was to get married and be a wife and a mother and to stay at home and raise those babies and feed their men and take care of the house, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I knew from a very early age, that's not what I wanted. Um, At least not in full. Uh, In part, sure, absolutely, but not in full. And so when I felt called into ministry at 16, 17 years old, Um, I just had no frame of reference that that was a possibility or that that was acceptable or that that was, like, even theologically accurate. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: But it was like, well, when God speaks, God speaks. And surely I wouldn't be – he wouldn't be asking me to do something that was counter to the character of God. So
1: yeah. Yeah, I've kind of had a weird journey in that way. Well, and well, man, yeah, no, I hear that. What, um, and like, so, how have you come to, into a place where, um, you know, you have engaged with race? I mean, what, what got you, you know, to that point, particularly as you know, somebody who's white raised in a conservative yep. in world, you know, in in, in worldview, worldview. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to know, like, what, how, did, what was your journey like? getting to that? Like, I mean, even if you can like, remember, like, what was Was there like a book? Was there like, did you, you know, go to CCDA? I mean, I don't know. Or maybe it was always present. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think that um, I really do think that moving to Dallas was the first thing. Like, I remember walking through the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary Hmm. and seeing like different colors of people. And that literally, Dan, up until eight years old, I don't know that I'd ever seen a person of color.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Other than, in the movies or like on TV and I wasn't really allowed to watch much of that so um I think that that was the first kind of like oh all the children of the world interesting okay and then um I remember high school there just being a handful of people of color in my high school like I had a friend who was from the Middle East there was um the a black kid that was in my class that I was just kind of drawn to there was like one Asian, um, like it was very, there was a very, very small minority of non white kids, Mm -hmm. but I was, I was just kind of drawn to them and their stories and their, like their family's traditions and food. And, and then I met my husband when I was 17 and he was Puerto Rican and you know, he kind of looks like he might not be white, but he kind of does look like he's white, (laughs) but his family was like, straight up Puerto Rican, he was a 1.5 gen, And so that was kind of he was really, like who walked me into the waters of what a non white worldview would look like.
1: Okay, okay.
0: That kind of just yeah, took me on the journey. I I don't think it was until we moved to California in 2004, where I like went into the deep end. and was like, OK, what would it look like for me to immerse my life and my listening and my family in a non-white majority world?
1: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And man, that's interesting. I got so many questions. So, let, well, let me let me start with this one. Then, so then let's talk about the intersections then. So being a woman being mm-hmm. uh, and then when, and when did you guys get married?
0: We got married in
1: two thousand one. Two thousand one. Okay. Oh man, look at that. We were uh, my wife and I were married in two thousand one too. Look at that. What uh, <laughs> seventeen years? Go and stop. You know it. You know what was your date?
0: It's August fifth. We just celebrated. No way.
1: That's right. That's what's up. We were November third.
0: Yay! Congratulations.
1: At, That's fantastic. That is. Oh, it's great. It's great. So it's fun. great. Um, and okay, so two thousand one, and were you guys married like in your twenties and stuff like that? Like when? Because you're you're a nineties a kid, right?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, we so we met when we were seniors in high school, mm-hmm. and then we ended up getting married when we were actually turned 22 on my honeymoon. So okay, for all extensive purposes, yeah, 22. We were still babies. I can't believe we got married so young, and who allowed us to do that? <laughs> because we, we didn't know anything about anything, but we were <laughs> madly in love, and we had walked a lot of life together. But at that point, and. Yeah. So
1: 22. Absolutely. No, that's what's up, man. Well, so let me ask this then. So then being a woman in ministry, married to a Puerto Rican brother, I mean, and what what has been, I mean, I, c- I can almost imagine, but you know, you got the whole Me Too movement uh, of stuff, at the church that w- we won't name. I mean, I have a whole episode on, on that coming up, but I won't name it for this <laughs> one. But like, what was, what was that like being a woman in those environments, married to this, this brother? I guess I'm trying to look at like how along the way, like what, what was it that like gotten again just kind of getting you cuz you're you're really where you're at now and again for those of you listening you know if you know April you already know what I'm talking about but um if you don't it's like man you know, what has gotten you to the place now cuz i know you're in those circles and you're and you're and you're mixing it up you're mixing it up and yeah. that's why I'm always just like okay april's there we're we're good it's kind of like when i see certain folks at certain conferences i'm like oh well they're there they're they're okay they they got it they got it they got it. they they're going to be alright
2: <laughs>
1: so <laughs> but what got you to that point? And then what was your experience like in the process? Cause I know you were at a couple of different churches. You were at new song. No, no, not yeah, new, song. Okay. Yeah, new song. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I, it's interesting to look back on your own story. Right. And right. how, yeah. How did you get there? I think, I mean, I really do think that Brian, my husband has played such a critical role. Um, it's interesting, when I was in high school, because of the religious and the ethnic and the, like, societal culture that I had been steeped in, the things that I were on my, like, non-negotiable list yeah. of the man that I was going to marry someday was that he was white, he was a virgin, and that he came from a strong Christian family.
1: Okay. All right. And—
0: Because that is what the evangelical, very conservative, probably more fundamentalist culture was telling me, right? Right. Brian was none of those. And so when I met him, I was so intrigued and was so um, amazed by who he was, and he didn't check any of my boxes.
2: Mm.
0: but he like from the very first time i saw him i was captivated by him um i was just like he is something different and i think that when it comes to being a woman in leadership and a woman in the church space first of all i just had no context for it and so i think that that's part of just who i am and how i'm wired is i'm kind of a trailblazer yeah. pioneering like I don't really care what other people think I do, but I don't, you know?
2: So (laughs) if
0: I know what I'm supposed to be doing, I don't care what you think. Um, And so there was a huge part of that, of of just a a strong spine of, I'm going to do what I know that I need to do. And if you can't get on board, that's okay.
2: Hmm. Um,
0: But I think that there was some graces in being with Brian of him going, I see you and I know you and I know what you're supposed to be about. And, he had no context that like women shouldn't be in the church because that's not what he grew up with. Right. And he just knew you're a kick-ass woman and you can do anything <laughs> you want. And that's I so. can't, I don't want to stop you. I want to support you and like put whatever wind underneath your wings that I can and fan that fire, you know? Wow. So I think that that like just having a partnership with somebody, the closest person to me, that was just like, you could run the world if you want. And I'm all about you doing everything that you want to do with your life. That's everything. Um, but then the first church experience that I had in leadership and full-time ministry really also supported that idea from, from my perspective. I saw women teaching and leading and eldering at every level in public places from day one from my mm. first full-time thing. Wow. And so that set the template for me. Um, that set the tone for what was possible and that there were no ceilings, that every, my, my first boss in ministry was a woman. Wow. Um, and so I think that there was just some grace in that for me of I was exposed from day one as a professional. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a professional. I was 18 years old when I started full time. <laughs> but my first gig, it was like, there are no ceilings. There are no limits. You can do and be whatever. And Brian was like, absolutely, let's go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man, I mean, and that's that's powerful in and of itself, right? I mean, because it's like, you know, you talk to certain women who say, I mean, my wife included, like you know, she, her role models of leaders, you know, were all men, you know, so to <laughs> already have that in place and to have, you know, a husband that is supportive and that isn't, you know, the whole complementarian or whatever. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, well, let's just stick you in the, in the children's ministry or the cooking <laughs> ministry and stuff. I mean, that's, no, that's what's up. And so, all right, so then let's fast forward a little bit. And then so... As you're as you're coming through, what was I mean Obama gets elected in 08? What's what are some thoughts for you and where you were at when that happened?
0: Yeah, that was good. That was a really good thing. Um, yeah, I remember feeling feeling really tearful and very much like, have we just broken through another like level of oppression and of um white supremacy? with yeah. the election of a black man. Um, yeah, I was living in California at that time and so my whole world was, was non-white majority. Um, I was the minority, when we moved out to California in 2004, uh-huh. um, from that point forward, like I was the minority everywhere that I went. And for about the first year or two, it was really hard because I felt misunderstood. I felt like I couldn't speak the language literally or figuratively. There were other values that were driving our church culture and the larger culture. Food was um, different mm. and felt strange to me at points. Um, and I, I didn't look like anyone, right? Like it just was – I really was the minority. And that being really, really hard, I remember crying like a lot in those first couple of years, like feeling just so misunderstood but that was, I mean, that really like helped to tear down a lot of what I thought was normal. Um, and what's normal is not normal a lot of times. And I, so I think like by the time 2008 rolled around and, um, and Obama got elected, I just felt like so much hope for our country and so much like, yes, that there there could be breakthrough happening, like light breaking through the darkness yeah. and that there could be a different way forward for us as a country And, and he, I mean, I believed in his leadership, but I, but I also have believed in just who he was as a human being. And I think who you are as a human being is first and foremost, um, it's the most important thing and it, it deeply informs how you are going to lead. And so I believed in him as a human being and could see then how he was going to lead our country in a way that was constructive, positive, um, moving us collectively toward, the ideals of what this country was, but never
2: started
1: out with. Does that make mm. sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so, well, let me, I mean, I had a couple of questions that I had in mind. Now my, my train of thought went, went on <laughs> to something else. But <laughs> as I'm thinking about, you know, that time and whatnot, um, I mean, you know, we're coming out of, well, I mean, that was a big recession. I mean, Obama's first, you know, you know, uh, big thing was you know to, to engage with that yeah. um and you know and living in california I, mean, I was in california as well um and seeing that um what how then let me ask this uh how then growing up conservative how then did like for example you know democrats liberals i mean this ideology around you know obama being you know pro-choice and poor life you know he's big uh, on uh, gay rights and and all that i mean so i'm i'm just trying to get i like, figure out like you know cuz those are all right those are all kind of the hot buttons you know on the GOP yeah. side and stuff like how did that yeah. how have you wrestled with through some of those things you know uh, as it pertains to that cuz i know i've heard other people who are raised yeah. in similar contexts be like well but well but this you know yeah. so, but i'm just curious i'm not trying to put that in your mouth i'm just trying to say that no. it's what's been in the past but i'd be curious to <laughs> see what you where you're at
0: yeah that's a great question i think i have i've come a really far distance when it comes to some of those social issues um hmm. in the last 20 years you know like my yeah when i was 18 and got to vote for president for the first time i i don't think i ever would have imagined voting democratic for one um right. or even for somebody like obama specifically however many years later so yeah i come such a long way in going i I want to be a person of love, which means being radically inclusive and honoring the choices that other people make, uh, regardless of whether or not I would agree with them or not, right? So I'm, I've am voted Democratic and Republican my whole life, and I've never been like a straight ticket person. Um, I've voted for people who I feel like are the kinds of human beings that I want to be leading our country um, or leading in the private sector. And so, yeah, when it comes to some of those hot button issues, like it, even in the beginning, when I first started voting, uh, it was never that clear and clean and simplistic to me. Um, like it never was about the abortion issue. Like, oh my gosh, there's about a trillion other things that are important. And, you know, up until now, Roe v. Wade is, is where it is. So like, let's figure out how to move forward instead of, trying to keep going back to the past that was never that was just never the issue that I wanted to vote on or same thing for like gay rights I mean I think that it's incredibly important and I'm very supportive of that but it was not like just because a candidate is this one thing um or will vote for this one issue like that it wasn't that simplistic to me does that make sense
1: yes yes no absolutely absolutely
0: it's yeah who who are you as a human being and do I want you to lead me and our, our country? And do I trust that that is going to be in the right direction? So you can't boil that down to an issue like abortion. You can boil that down to issues of racism or misogyny or sexism <laughs> or xenophobia, right? Because that is – that those are how you're treating human beings. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So, I mean, and, and you roll in, in youth ministry circles um – And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the fringes of some of those, but I mean, I know you're in the thick of it. Um, you've spoken for, uh, what is it? CYI or CIY or whatever those, yeah, 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 those places. So, how then do you navigate some of those more conservative spaces given what you think what how you how you you know are prophetic in yeah. certain ways i mean i i'm just curious i mean i asked yeah. irene Cho the same thing i was like man how do you get away with like this are people not monitoring your social media like what what yeah. is this what is going on and so how do you you know engage with that that tend to be one of my biggest frustrations with youth ministry circles is that it is it's just so conservative and so kind of one-sided and we only need to focus on the gospel which i'm just like well sure but the gospel much bigger than just somebody getting saved. Absolutely. Quote unquote. But anyways, what, what how, yeah. Yeah, how have you done some of that stuff?
0: Um, it's been challenging because, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram eight. Come on. People that know the Enneagram All which right. is a challenger. So I have a very strong bent towards justice. I have very much like I see a problem and I want to figure out how to be a part of the solution I will call people on their crap. Like I can be very aggressive. I have strong opinions about things, so that doesn't always make for like the greatest of making friends. But I um I've worked with a counselor and a coach over the years and other mentors that have really challenged me around if I want to be a person of influence, if I want to make an impact and the largest impact that I could possibly make with my life in this world, um, one of the ways that that's going to need to happen is I'm going to have to build bridges. And a lot of times I would rather like nuke places,
2: you know, like <laughs> yeah. the
0: aggressor, the the agitator, the, you know, I, one of the things I like about you, Tan, is like you're, I've, called you like a provocateur. Like, <laughs> I love that about you. Um, and I, internally, I want to do that a lot. Like, I just want to go and like, this is ridiculous. Let's blow that up and start over again. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but I know from the work that I do as a coach that people never get from point A to point B without a journey. And True. if I look at my own life and my own story, I would have never imagined that I would be in, I, I would have the theological, political, sociological, you know, beliefs that I do now, 20 years ago. Hmm. And so I think that people are capable of going from point A to point B. And if we're going to build a future that is, I think, a fuller expression of the gospel, more of kingdom come, uh, more of loving and honoring one another for our similarities, but also for our differences, that it's going to take Kind of a a long walk forward, um, in moving from point A to point B. So when it comes to speaking in some of those spaces, I'm really mindful of how I communicate, of the of the illustrations that I use, of the stories that I tell. I just spoke at a church recently, and I just referenced Augustine okay. fairly quickly in the beginning of my talk. Mm-hmm. But I before I spoke about him, I said that you know he was perhaps the he was probably the most significant theologian in the first millennium. And he was an African man, um, lived in Northern Africa. And I had several people that were like, I didn't know that Augustine was African. And I was like, yeah, we got a lot of our theology from a <laughs> North African man. Like, that's pretty cool, huh? So I'm, I'm really mindful of, of how I speak and how I can maybe just – Tick the trajectory one or two degrees for somebody in their own journey, and and push it so that we can build this bridge towards something that is more and fuller and um, more complex and less less black and white.
1: Yes. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, but it
0: also pains me. I, sh- I mean, I should be really honest with that too. Like, there there are places and spaces that I'm in um, at times that just feel like this is not really representative of who I am and what I'm about. But I love people. And I love um, I love the opportunity to be able to take people to places where they don't want to go, but they desperately need to go. Yeah. And, and so if I if I'm welcomed there, if I'm invited into that space, I'm going to do my part to kind of help to move that needle, you know, and take them a little bit closer towards a point B.
1: No, that's what's up. That's what's up. Well, and that's just it. I mean, I know, you know, you got your, the coaching part of you, which is, which is great. I mean, I think uh, you're right. I mean, the journey is a powerful uh, space. I think sometimes I just, I run out of patience that I'm just like, Oh my God. I
0: mean, I think like it's different for me as a white woman than it is for you as a black man. Right. I mean, I just, I, I carry more privilege. And so if there is, if there's ways for me to use that and cash that in to be in places and to carry the torch or whatever, that's probably a really bad metaphor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> April Diaz and torches. Oh man. Oh my gosh. I was
0: speaking Olympians. Ah, uh, yes. The torches yes.
1: Into the, well, I know.
0: To our rule in the world. As long as you don't but, say
1: tiki torches. you know? Oh gosh. No. <laughs>
0: uh, if, if I can do that, I think that that's part of Part
1: of a responsibility that I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, no, I feel you. And so, I mean, well, even that. I mean, even just what you just said, that right there, it's like. So, how did you arrive? You're talking about journey. How did you arrive to talking more about privilege? I mean, I, I, you know, because I, I still talk. I mean, Lord have mercy, God bless their souls. They, I have students who come in my, you know, my intercultural comm class. I mean, I'm sure they'll be there this fall here in a couple of weeks. And like, white privilege, like that's just a liberal agenda, and that's just it doesn't exist. I mean, how did you get to a place where you're just you're able to even see that? What was that journey like?
0: I think it's interesting because I'm a I'm white, but I'm a woman, and so I think that I I know what it's like to carry both. Okay. Both the oppression and the like being under the thumb because I'm not a man, but because I'm white, I have way more opportunities than women of color. Hmm. Um, and I have way more privilege. Yeah, so I think that. I think that because I am a woman that has afforded me the ability to see where I have privilege and also where I have less opportunity and the struggle that exists there. So um, I don't I I don't think that I've arrived by any stretch. I'm learning stuff every single day that blows my mind. But but yeah, I I think that the intersection of those two things Mm. helps me to be able to live in the tension there.
1: That's deep. No, that's deep. That's deep. So, where were you when Trayvon Martin was uh murdered?
0: Mm, California. I don't remember exactly, but I remember weeping because my son was Was that 6 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Judah, my oldest son was 4 years old, if I'm remembering that timeline right. Mhm. Um and it was my oldest son is Ethiopian, so he's black, <clears throat> very dark. And I just remember having the first, like, real reality check of his future looks different than, like, my youngest son, who's biological.
1: <clears throat> okay.
0: And yeah. I remember, I just, yeah, remember weeping. I wrote a blog post about it very quickly after of. You know, this this is really important to me, and this is breaking me.
1: Man, what? I mean, as you're thinking about, because and I say asked about Trayvon, because that's been the genesis for so many people, so many, Mm -hmm. um, and really, you know, coming into a sense Mm of as the, you know, as people call it, the wokeness, you know, moment yeah. and stuff. And yeah. so, and you're right. So you, so you adopted two kids. I mean, what, what brought y'all to that? Did, uh, were you in a space when you adopted them to, to understanding the, 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 complexities of being black and in this country, when you adopted them, what, what, what even got you to that point where you were just like, no, nah, I think these two right here.
0: Yeah. Well, it's fun. Actually, yesterday marked eight years since we first got our referral for Judah and Adisei wow. and uh, saw their faces for the very first time eight years ago. And it's like mm. when I, I instantly felt like I was their mom and um, began that journey. I mean, we we specifically adopted from Ethiopia because we had learned so much over the previous probably five or six years about the AIDS pandemic in sub-Saharan Africa, the orphan crisis and really believing like kids need families. Um, and Brian and I were really committed as well to having a multi-ethnic, very multiracial family. And so we knew that we'd always wanted to adopt. And so Africa just made sense to us. Um, Ethiopia specifically just because of the way that the Hague laws connected to the U S and international adoption working, um, So it wasn't like we were like, always from the beginning, it was Ethiopia, but it pretty quickly became that place um, just because of logistics and laws and legalities and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think when we brought them home, um, we had definitely learned like in the adoption process, which took us almost two years until they came home, um, about in the US, how black children there were more black foster kids in the system than any other race. And that they're also the least adoptable. Okay. Um, and that just going like, well, that's really messed up and that is really heartbreaking. And why does that exist? And what is that about? And so I think that we, we definitely were aware of, of the white black massive chasm and the injustices and the systemic issues that were involved but you know i don't I think you don't know what you don't know until you actually get into it, and so I think that there's some grace there that we didn't know as much as we know now. Um, but we knew certainly that raising black children um, as a white mother and as a brown father would create some complexity and that there would be some challenges for us as a family, um, but also that there would be some issues that we were, we would have to figure out over time so Yeah, I don't think we knew nearly what we know now, Mm -hmm. Um, but we certainly weren't, like, blinded to it, coming into it.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. And, 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 you know, and growing up, I mean, so, you know, from Trayvon, I mean, you just have this kind of public display of you know particularly yeah. black men i mean i know the sandra bland i mean mm-hmm. so you got you got that i mean there's other black women who've been sure. killed but these black bodies that are just being slammed i mean how does and especially in this era when you know they're growing up in a very high techy yeah. environment i mean what what are some of the conversations that y'all have with, with all your kids not just necessarily you know just yeah. the Obie kids but you know with all with all of your kids yeah um well
0: when we lived in indiana We had race conversations daily, almost daily in our house. Uh, I would say probably five to six days a week. All right. And they were, they were racial conversations that wasn't just about like, you know, tell me about Rosa Parks or like, let's learn about what happened in the letters from Birmingham jail. Like it wasn't just about like educational and teach me things. They were like, they were painful conversations of our kids having dirt thrown at them or um, Judah getting called names on the bus. Um, They were about like exclusion that was happening at school because they were the only black kids, the only, and really one of very few kids of color at their school. So those conversations were really painful, um, and they were really difficult to help these early elementary aged kids start to try and figure out like what was going on and what was, what was this reality that they were experiencing, um, Since we have moved to California again, we've been in California for the last year, a little over a year, and the racial conversations that we're having now as a family are more educational, empowering, um, historical than they were over the last couple of years. Okay. Um, We've got, you know, a pretty solid library of books, books. from all kinds of different people of color and, you know, books about Africa and Ethiopia and people of color in America that have done amazing things and have, um, broken through barriers. And, um, but I will say like, you know, school just started this week for us. And for our youngest, our biological son, uh, he was in class this week and his teacher uh, said that she was adopted and she's like, does anybody in this class know what adopted means? And Asher raised his hand. And he goes, yeah, my brother and sister are adopted. And so like, that's a, we just talk about that kind of stuff all the time. You know, yesterday was our referral anniversary. And so we talked about the, um, beautiful thing of how God has formed our family and how God found us them and placed them in our family. And also the loss that adoption is, you know, every adoption is equal to loss. Um, and is also equal to a profound sense of trauma and so there's, there's those conversations that we have all the time uh, yesterday we went to go pick up our oldest son Judah from school and we were just watching him play like from the fence um, in the back of the field and he was playing with a couple of boys um, and they were playing like this fortnight you know reenactment, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Judah was pretending like he was shooting one of them okay. and Brian and I looked at each other and were like that's a conversation that needs to happen now um, like he, that he can't pretend that that's what he has in his hand. Mm. Um, and he doesn't know like what that represents. Yeah. And so, um, and he's so like innocent still, you know, and he's so clueless. And so I mean, we just had a really brief conversation walking back of from the schoolyard of, Hey bud, like you really can't, um, you really can't pretend like you've got a gun. Like we're not pro gun anyway, but Knowing the story of our country and knowing what's happening, like, he just can't pretend like he's got a gun and he's shooting anyone. Um, and he was like, I don't really get it. So we're like, we- we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, yeah, I don't know if that totally answers your question, but yeah, we just we're having conversations. It's just it's peppered into the fabric of our
1: family. No, I mean, that's that's good. I mean, I think those are I mean, those are again, those are all important. That's exactly it. I mean, you know, like you said, those those type of conversations, I don't think enough of those are happening. And so, yeah, you get kids that come from very you know protected backgrounds and you know no one's talking about that or no one wants you know people say oh that's a conversation or no 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 we're not going to talk about that but yeah. they're experiencing it they're seeing it yeah. and and so yeah no no that's good so well and let me and you know what what about you know what about Mike Brown what about I mean because that was there was a I mean Trayvon was kind of like one of the precursors but then you have yeah. um um but then you have you know Mike Brown which was like an explosion
0: yeah Yeah. Eric Garner was that same week as well. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Eric Garner. And then, um, oh, man, the guy from Minnesota.
1: What's his name? Oh, Philando Castile.
0: Yeah, Philando Castile. All three of those guys were the same week, July two years ago. Um, That was the week of Judah's eighth birthday. And um, I remember as well just kind of going – we are going to be wading into some deep waters, uh, very soon where he is moving from being this really cute, adorable, squishy little black boy, um, with a white mom and a brown dad and a brown sister or black sister and a, you know, half brown brother. Like he's going from this like really cute little baby stage, um, into like, he's a, he's becoming a young man, you know? And, I don't know, Dan. It's um, I, I think like this is where the village is really important to us, and yeah. Brian and I keeping our ears to the ground and in relationships with with folks that are helping us to navigate that. Um, Brian certainly has his own experiences of racism and of you know injustice and systemic stuff for him as. A Puerto Rican, 1.5 generation Puerto Rican, but uh, we're just we're at a different level with our other kiddos, and so we just are needing to learn and to stay close to people that are gonna help walk us through what it looks like for us to raise these kids, um, to stand on their own two feet, to uh, be able to navigate through these waters.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think. All right. So what about. So let me ask this then. I mean, so, you know, speaking of navigating those waters, I mean, we're in quite a hot mess as a country, you know, after the 2016 election. And with all stuff, I mean, it's daily. Right. I mean, I don't think I at least in my lifetime, I don't remember it being such a daily affair where it was just like, whoa now that like we're oh we're going there Uh right okay so that's gone too i mean so i'm just curious like what how y'all navigating this stuff i mean you know you got this this guy in the the presidency and i mean i can't imagine trying to be a an elementary school teacher talking about okay this is the president of the united states because these kids these kids know i mean i know my daughter knows she's just like wait this guy's doing this he's talking about that and Mm -hmm. wait a minute Mm -hmm. so what's that what's that been like then for you guys and your family (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
0: i mean the day after that election i mean i woke up early in the morning um to to hear the news and i just i sobbed in my bed for a really long time i mean i just sobbed yeah um because i knew like what we were being ushered into and I think, like, we kept our kids home from school that day uh, because we were living in Indiana. And so there was, like, kids chanting on the bus, the name of the 45th. And um, I, I just knew that, like, we couldn't – we had talked with our kids enough throughout that election cycle yeah. of, like, we will – we are not voting for him because of A through Z. Um, and what is important about a leader, we watched a bunch of the Obama – speeches as a family, like, as he was leaving office, like, we really wanted to make sure that our kids were very, like, clear on who, like, who people are matter, um, and it does affect their leadership, and, and that they were, like, Judah and Ades-A and Asher were all born with an Obama president, you know, and that was, that felt yeah. important and special to us, to make sure that they were, like, rooted in, like, this is, this is kind of the, the future and the the tone of the, of what we want for our country and what we feel like is, is best. Um, so I think like, it's crazy cause we used to have the TV and news on like pretty regularly during the Obama era. Yeah. And we, we never have it on now um, when our kids are around because we can't trust what is going to be said or what they are going to see. It feels like, I mean, it's just not child appropriate, which is insane to me. Um, While they used to have something to really look up to, now it just feels like it is just garbage um, and hateful, you know? And so, I mean, all three of our kids are very, I mean, if you asked them right now, like what they think of 45, they would give you really strong opinions. (laughs) And ultimately, it's because of stuff that we've told them. Um, and how, how we've talked about it, but yeah, it's just, it's, it sucks. I, it feels like, it just feels like this can't get over soon enough.
2: This nightmare.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's another
0: four years. I think you're the one who had first planted that idea in my head that like, it's highly likely that it'll be another four years. Like I don't even have a place in my brain to process that because that means that, um, my son will be 16 years old. When he would leave office, right? That feels horrible.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and I, I've been telling folks. I mean, I hope you know. I hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm completely wrong. But I mean, the way things are turning now, and the way things are, are looking, and yeah, anyways, because that, that was gonna be my next question. Think, <laughs> like, what happens if he gets reelected? I mean, and again, I hope not. You know, um, but you know, I just, I don't. I don't know. I can't I can't see him just doing one term, not with the the kind of wave because, you know, we're we're in such a different era. We're not in. I was talking with some folks the other night and they were like, yeah, but this and is this as and this. like, look, you guys are using too much logic. You're using too many facts and you're not thinking like the majority who is not even the majority who's voting for him. But, you know, the 24 percent is what the GOP needs to, you know, to take the White House and stuff, which there are way more ethnic minorities who are, and people who, you know, who are conscious who just don't want him in office. But, you know, I know a lot of people who just didn't even vote uh, in 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it'll be interesting just to see, you know, what happens between now and then I hope, I hope he does get out of office. I, I really do. I mean, I, yes, mm. exa- absolutely. Um, And so now with where you're at, uh, you coach, what, what type of coaching do you do?
0: Yeah, I do leadership and wellness coaching. So I work with leaders all over the country that want to be well um, and live fully in their body and their mind and their spirit. Um, and we, we do work around every single aspect of who they are as a, as a human being and as a leader. So ultimately, leaders come to me and I do coaching with them because they have a place that they want to get to and they're not quite sure how to. So there's like a a point B in mind, you know, they, they see something in the future, um, that they want to get at, but they're not quite sure how to get there or they're feeling really stuck in their current scenario. And that is not acceptable. So they're committed to figuring out a new way forward and breaking through barriers. So it's really fun. Um, it's pretty fantastic to be able to see other people achieve their dream. Um, it's pretty beautiful to watch People break through lies and self limiting beliefs and barriers that have been constructed for them or barriers that they have put up for themselves. And to watch them like bust through that and do really beautiful, great things in the world. So it's really, really fun.
1: Man. No, that's, that's, that's amazing stuff. And how, I mean, and like I said, for those of you listening, I'll put all these, you know, in the show notes uh, as you're listening, how is, and, and how has that been during, or has, has there been a difference, you know, after the 2016 election? I mean, has there been, you know, in terms of what people are wanting to engage, or maybe they, you know, something slips and you're just like, oh man, or what, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the process looks like. I'm not a coach, but like, you know, it, has there been a shift, I guess is what I'm asking, you know, since the 2016 election, Uh, in coaching and working with leaders?
0: You know, I would say I have not noticed anything, at least in the the space that I'm in racially,
2: Mm -hmm. but I
0: have noticed a a big shift with women.
2: Okay, Um, all right. I
0: coach a lot of women, and women that are saying, like, enough is enough for me, and I, like, the future is female, you know, and I have got to... I, I can't sit back passively. I can't just do my thing anymore. I have to be able to like live fully into all that I've been created to do and to be. And I just see a lot more courage and boldness and a, a deep sense of just kind of tenacity from women that are going, I've got to step up and we've got to be at the table and we've got to change things around here. Yeah. So I, I love that. I mean, I am... I'm a big believer that there is space for all of us, Yeah, um, that there's enough work for us to do in the world for, for all of us to have, you know, a place for all of us to have authority and responsibility and influence and impact. Um, so I think that's the biggest shift that I've noticed in the last couple of years.
1: Hmm. Man. So let me ask you this as we're rounding out here, we'll be gracious of the time here. Um, But what, Ten years out, what are you? What are you hoping for? What are you thinking about? Mm. You can tap into your futurist self here, yeah. but you know, when you think about it, you know, will be twenty twenty eight. Um, okay. and what you know, what what are your thoughts?
2: Mm.
0: Well, I have to do the numbers, right? So, like, I'll be almost fifty. Okay, come which on, Which just sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and my youngest will be sixteen. Our oldest will be twenty, so like we'll be you know almost empty nesters. Yeah, slash yeah. paying all of the college tuition. That's true. that's <laughs> the true world. Um, you know, I Brian and I are in the process right now of building a couple of businesses, and I think that in the next ten years, we will be living our dream. Um, that's I've got a sign that a metal sign that's hanging up in my bathroom that says she designed a life she loved. And that is what I'm super committed to. So I think in 10 years, um, my dream, my hope, my passion would be that we are leading a global organization um, helping people live well in their body, mind, and spirit.
1: Wow. Wow. Man, that's that's what's up. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll amen to that. <laughs> man and so well and one of the last questions then uh, is is what what advice can because i get this question all the time every time i do a workshop every time i do something it's like as a white person what can i be doing and i just you know i feel so left i mean so it seems like you've you've gotten a a a you know obviously you know none of us are, have, have arrived but you've no. you've gotten a good you got into a good space and so what Dare I say what advice what words what uh, consejos do you have for the folks who are white and are trying to figure yeah. this whole thing out and you know and like you said the, in yeah. in, the, in their journey
0: Yeah. Um I think that the two most significant things that I have done is really intentionally maybe it started by luck or just proximity but but it has become very intentional for me to have friends that do not look like me and who have not come from the places that I've come. Um, so that I can expand my worldview. So the majority of my friends are not white. Um, and I have really close friendships with both men and women. Okay. And I think that that's possible. Um, I think it's possible to have really close male, you know, opposite gender friendships without it getting funky, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think that that's one thing is like your relational circles matter. Um, even like your inner circle, right? Like my inner circle is not predominantly white. Um, but the other thing is in the last two years, I have almost exclusively read and listened to voices of color Uh and have, um, have read almost nothing by white men. Uh. And, um, Obviously, white men have great things to offer. It's not something against them. It's some. It's m- much more of that's been the voices that I have heard and learned from my whole life. And so if I want to see another side of who God is, if I want to learn more about what is happening in the world, if I want to see someone else's perspective, it needs to be someone else's perspective. And so, yeah, I'm reading and listening to and watching almost exclusively from women and people of color man, and that's that, life changing
1: that's no, wow, that's powerful that's that's you know that and is you're absolutely right you're absolutely right man wow man we uh we've covered a lot of ground here
0: <laughs> you ask good questions my friend
1: oh man i'm just <laughs> i'm just trying i'm just trying to keep up and get folks out there and speaking of that getting them to know you where can folks find you what's uh what's uh where, where they can come and, and, and hook up some of that coaching leadership
0: yeah AprilDiaz.com is kind of the the first place that you can go but on twitter and instagram i am april l diaz Excellent. So it just looks like you've put a typo with two L's
1: there. But <laughs> I hear that.
0: It's what was available? No, I so no. had to take it. <laughs> no,
1: exactly. No, exactly. Yes. I had to, I had to get profane faith before somebody else got it. So I didn't have to put like a 42 or a 75 or some kind of number. <laughs> out it. So I, I get it. I get it. I get it. And again, those of you listening, I'll put all these in the show notes as always. Um, so you can look up, uh, April and, you know, and get her out there and, 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 and hook it up. Um, Man, any uh, anything that you're reading right now that you want to leave us with and something that's like, man, that's that's, that's stirring my soul.
0: Yeah, I just finished. Um, summer, I've hardly read anything because children and oh, yeah. all of the things.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: You could send me a list of things that I need to read this fall. But uh, <laughs> I just finished up fairly recently reading Austin Channing. Brown's new book that was just fantastic and I mean the first sentence of her book white people are exhausting and I was like (laughs) oh bring it girl and crap um and Dominique Gilliard's new book Rethinking Incarceration was so so good um it took me a long time to get through it because I wanted to soak it all in um so yeah I've those are the two most recent that have just been really really helpful for me um and i just read a little bit of fiction
1: this summer that's, what's that's up. about it that's what's up and I, <laughs> and, and I will add that both of those have been on the show both austin and dominique have been on profane faith so those well, are you... help,
0: help me get austin on my show because i i had dom but i would love to get austin on my show
1: man i let me tell you i reached out to her in december of 2017 and then what? i didn't record with her until late april and i had to go through her like publicist and stuff so yeah <laughs>
0: her friend's on fire so
1: oh yeah no she's blown up and it's and it's well deserved i'm i'm not taking anything away from that absolutely man well april thank you so much for sharing your story your life your thoughts this is this has been great
0: thank you yeah i'm honored to be on your show and that you would want to hear my voice on this space so thank you thanks to everybody listening
1: absolutely all right we'll we'll get you we'll get you back we'll hook it up
0: (laughs) all right let's do it
1: Hey folks, it's your boy Dan White-Hodge. Before you leave out on the podcast, just wanted to let you know, a brother is booking speaking engagements for the spring and for the summer of 2019. Y'all know I got a brand new book out, Homeland Insecurity, and I got all kind of goody stuff and research that I can speak on in that. So if you're looking for somebody for chapel, you're looking for somebody to come and give a workshop, you're looking for somebody to come and teach a couple classes, hit a brother up. You can go to whitehodge.com. And look that up and hit me up there in the contact page. Or just email me directly at speaker at whitehodge.com. That's speaker at whitehodge.com. I work with all budgets. I work with all folks. Hit a brother up. This new year's coming up. And we are engaging in all kind of crazy stuff. And guess what? I definitely got a word. (laughs) Not to sound all crazy or nothing. But I definitely have something. And if you see the value in this podcast... Um, I would encourage you to email me, reach out to me, and let's make this happen. All right, I'll see you in 2019.